I think the biggest piece, of course, is education. So making sure that all young women, especially girls, have access to education. And that can look different in every country. There are certain countries in the world where if young women are menstruating, that they're not allowed to go to school and things like that. And all goes back to education of the whole population that all young people should have access to education to a certain level. I think that's more or less a universal right. And speaking to Emirati women, that they do know that quote, and they do feel quite strongly about it. And it has been respected. And that you have a forward thinker that would look at his whole population and not just 50% of it. So to me, it's the education piece. And that's for young men and women, but also especially for young women, that the access is there. And it's to any level that they want to go to. So if there are barriers to university, how do we deal with those? If there's barriers to secondary or whatever level of education, be it through cultural differences or anything that is a barrier, um, how do we remove those so that we can move forward? Welcome to the Diving for Pearls podcast. I'm your host, Ms. Gina P. Nelson. On this show, we will feature women in the UAE and across the globe who are breaking ground in their industry while at the same time transforming the cultural landscape. The women whom we will feature here on this podcast are in many ways analogous to pearl divers, women who have taken calculated risks to uncover and harvest pearls of wisdom insights that have led them to illuminate their pathway and the pathway of others. These women are thought leaders, innovators, visionaries, women who embody the spirit of the founding father of the UAE, His Highness Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan Al Nayan. We invite you to listen in, take the plunge, Reflect on the poignant stories of courage and resilience while delving deeper into your own journey of self-discovery and exploration. Pearls lie not on the seashore. If thou desires one, thou must dive for it. Anonymous. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the Diving for Pearls podcast. Before we introduce today's guests, we would like to extend our well wishes to everyone during this holiday season. We would like to thank all of our listeners who have spread the word about the podcast. We are now in episode 19 of season one. From here in the UAE, we will move to Africa. And we're super excited as we are hoping to have just as many innovators, global thought leaders, and visionaries on the show. As many of you who have been tuning in are aware, our podcast is really about highlighting the stories of women. And today we are so honored to have an accomplished storyteller with us. So I'm going to do a brief introduction of Miss Courtney Brandt. She is an American author and journalist and freelance content creator who is here living in the UAE since 2007. Today, she's been published with some of the prestigious magazines such as Forbes Middle East, Curiosity Magazine, Elite Daily, 
Food and Wine, Travel Blog, and Matador Network, just to name a few. She currently provides global hotel coverage with North Star Media and was part of the world's most luxurious hotels program on BBC Five in 2019. Courtney is the founder of A to Zatar, and this is a platform where she is trying to provide and share culinary and hospitality experiences here from the UAE and beyond. She has spoken at numerous conferences, including the Gulf Host, the Restaurant Show, the Middle East Food Forum, Travel Tech Middle East, and the SMS Summit Jordan. She is the author of 14 novels, primarily in the genre of young adult and contemporary fiction. In 2019, she was honored to be involved as an author in the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. So I am honored to have her today. And Courtney, I want to say thank you because I saw your profile. It must have been easily four years ago. And as I was packing up to do a lot of my last minute cleaning up for the end of the year, I came across your profile again and went immediately directly to your blog and your Instagram feed and was equally impressed as I was four years ago. So I want to say welcome, Miss Courtney Brandt. Thank you so much for having me. Um, obviously, your platform and the guests you've had have been incredible. So I feel honored to be one of them. Thank you for taking out the time. So Courtney, before I go into your backstory, I just want to start, as you reflect back on just 2020 and now 2021, what are some of your key learnings? And what do you think, when you look back, maybe with your children and your great-grandchildren years from now, what do you think your story is going to be? 2021 was an interesting one. Um, I don't know how many people were going into this year with optimism. I actually had a great 2020 and I published four books and I wrote two more. So I was coming in um, kind of on a high. Um, I would look back at this year and I've had a lot of really excellent uh, culinary travel and I've been invited on some just amazing trips. Um, so I'm, I'd look back with pride. Um, I, I published again uh, and and I've been writing the same um, and things are really picking up. So I'm proud of this year and I'm cautiously optimistic for 2022. I love that term, cautiously optimistic. I am definitely an eternal optimist. So I definitely share that this has been a pretty amazing year for myself. I do want to acknowledge those of us who've had some severe challenges, but I definitely think we, if we collectively use our resources and share our resources, we can definitely come out on the other end. So you've published four books. I want to actually get into your writing and your writing process, being the author of 14 novels. So can we start with your writing journey? Where did you start? Where do you go for inspiration? And what is your process of writing? So it's interesting because, and I have no shame in uh, saying this, I've, I've stated it before and I'll keep saying it. I actually started writing fan fiction um, back in like 2005, 2006. And fan fiction, for those who don't know, is a safe space usually uh, for writing stories with characters you already know. So you can write anything within the world, you know, that these characters live in. And I always, I still go back to it, but it's a place where you can develop stories that are coming from characters that are already developed. 
out of that, I started writing and I wanted to make a voice for young adults in marching band, one of, of which I used to be. And there wasn't a fictional voice for students of marching band. This is also very American. I'm, I'm recognizing that. Uh, so I wrote six books in that space. And then I kind of shifted to some different stories. I have a pen name. Uh, I write my adult novels under Anne Benjamin. Then I came back to young adult and I did a steampunk trilogy, kind of an alternate history of Victorian England, if that makes sense. And then in the past year, I've been working on um, some sequels and dusting off some projects that I hadn't touched in a long time. And really just kind of seeing, you know, you asked where the ideas come from. At any given time, I think I counted the other day, I have seven to 10 that I haven't written yet. And so it's really kind of sitting down and, and probably trying to be a little more commercial and saying, you know, should I develop more in this series? Is there a standalone book that would be interesting? I don't write to market, which is the concept of writing for something that is currently a hot topic. That's usually with fiction. Uh, so I just write my own stories and uh, develop them at my own rate. I will also mention that I am a self-published author. And there are different ways to the market. And I see no issue whatsoever with being self-published. Um, I think the publishing world, especially for different voices, you know, might not always be a clear path. So I really enjoyed the self-publishing process. I work with, you know, professional cover artists and professional editors to make sure that my projects are the best they can be. Thank you for sharing that, Courtney. I didn't have the opportunity to read any of your young adult fiction, but I will. I'm actually tutoring a young girl and we're doing chapter books. So I definitely am going to explore a lot of your series that was based on your marching band experiences, which I think was a fine line, keeping in line and lineup, if I remember correctly. Starting with that marching band series, is there any predominant theme that is... I would say, prominent throughout your fiction. I know you said it was based on some of your experience as an individual who was part of a marching band. It's a really good question. I don't think there's a lot of predominant themes. I mean, I only have female protagonists and then maybe it's a coming of age or maybe it's learning your place or maybe it's finding your place. I would say those are probably the most predominant themes. Each story is obviously a little different, but for across time and the different, many different protagonists I've had, all of most of which are young women. Yeah, I would say it's it's some degree of, of, you know, finding yourself. I think I am trying to do better within the, the world of young adult to be more diverse. You know, I, I can recognize when I started out that I that I really wasn't offering diversity in characters and diversity just across the board. So it, it's been trying to find stories, I think, that maybe resonate on different levels. You know, of course, my books, I'm not saying they're great literature, but they're fun to read. And hopefully you do walk away with something of an interesting story, or maybe you could be a little reflective of your own life. Agreed. And that's the power of story. You know, and individuals being able to connect in some manner. So can you share with our listeners, just unpack a little bit, where did this love of writing start? Another great question. So for, I've been writing literally since I was six, I think. Like I, there's a there's a picture my dad took of me. And I'm on the front steps of my my house in the States. And um, 
yeah, I got my little notebook out and I'm writing a little story. So I've literally um, been telling stories for a long time. I think when I was in university, I flirted with film. Um, so maybe screenwriting, but I've always come back to, to the book, but, and it comes across a lot in my reviews. I write cinematically, like it should come across I write as if this is going to become a film. Maybe I'm going to try and manifest that. That's where my my love has, of writing has been for decades now. And yeah, I just don't see it stopping anytime soon. And do you have any like tips for individuals who seem to get stuck, who may be experiencing some kind of writer's block, any kind of routines that you regularly utilize that you would advocate that other individuals embarking on a writing career may take advantage of? What I usually try and tell people is to just pick a word count per day that makes sense to them. So for me, for example, I am actively writing a rough draft right now, and I know that I kind of max out at a thousand words a day, uh, and I would aim to do that about six days a week. I know that sounds like a big number, but I guarantee if you look at all your texting and all of your emails in a day, you're already writing a thousand words and they don't have to be good. I think that's the other thing. People really maybe get caught up in it. This has to be perfect or this has to be great. It doesn't. Like I tell anyone, no one is going to see my rough draft, but me. And that's just pretty much my approach. And you can be protective of those first drafts. And when you're ready and you've gone through the editing process, then you can share it with others. So I would tell people, pick a word count, try and commit to, you know, five days a week. And for me, it's six days a week, a thousand words. And, and then I get a novel done in about three to four months, Uh, but that's just a rough draft. So my other, I guess, advice would be just take the pressure off yourself because, you know, no one's going to see those first drafts, but you, and really that's the way it should be. That's good advice. Sometimes I will hear individuals state that it is also good to think of your writing for yourself. If you do decide to publish it, that's okay. But just as you mentioned, taking that pressure and being a little more compassionate with yourself about what you're writing. I want to unpack about your process of writing. And I don't know too many writers who are not reading. So can you share with us what you're currently reading? What is in your library? And any writers specifically that you, I don't want to say aspire to, but provide inspiration for you? As you mentioned, any author, fiction or nonfiction, should be reading all the time, um, and myself included in that. I view reading as an escape, so I really do love the romance genre. Uh, There's a number of authors in there that I think just write fantastic stories. Uh, I'm also part of a book club. Um, We are reading uh, Hamnet by Elizabeth and I'm so sorry, I've neglected to remember her surname. Um, and during in my book club, we we meet once a month. This is my third book club in, in Dubai. And we try and focus on women, women of color, um, authors of color, um, just trying to read really anything except white men because they have they have plenty of people reading their stuff. Um, so if I'm actively researching or writing a book, I will, of course, try and pick up other titles in the genre that are similar because I want to see how that book's written and how you know that author tells a story because it's important to me that I match, you know, if I'm doing 
commercial fiction or commercial romance, contemporary romance, that needs to fit into a certain genre. There are tropes that I need to play into. Of course, I'll do it my own way or a unique way or the way that's best for the characters. So right now I'm working on a book. It's very early stages. I've only written 10,000 words, but it's a modern book. It's going to take place in London. So just kind of looking for authors, you know, that write contemporary books, you know, kind of romance driven in London because London plays an important kind of part in this. And so that would be what I'm reading right now. Brilliant. I like that process that you talked about in terms of looking at, you know, where you're going to set your story, looking at authors who may have written something, a narrative around that place that you've chosen. And I want to get the title of the book that you mentioned in your book club. I didn't hear it correctly. It's Hamnet. So it's a retelling of it's kind of like Shakespeare, but not Shakespeare. So Shakespeare is a character, but he is is really never named. So it's I'm so sorry. It's Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. I'm not sure where I pulled Elizabeth from. And it's a fictional account of Shakespeare's son, Hamnet, who was a real person. And the the language is quite beautiful, but it's not something I would usually pick up. I don't seek out, you know, kind of this style or even this time period. So that's why I love my book club is that we we do challenge and we do pick up different books that I might not have the opportunity to read. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. We will include the Hemnet in the show notes. So Courtney, I want to ask you, because as I look through your Instagram feeds, it seemed as if you were telling a story with your pictures. Before we actually go into your work or your brand, A to Satar, what would you share with our listeners today? What do you believe is the power in telling a story? Well, I'm often invited. In fact, I'm almost always invited by a restaurant or a chef or, you know, somebody in the hospitality industry. And I think this is where, you know, content creators are invited for their unique voices. So I'm really trying to get out of the way and tell the story of the kitchen or the chef. Um, you know, my piece of it is to actually be fairly subjective um, because food is is different to everyone. You know, it's not something we can all judge because you know your palate and my palate might be different. Uh, so I generally the story I'm trying to tell is would I go back and would I pay for this dish again? So especially on the food side for my food writing and and content creation. The story is around me as a brand, but also picking places and choosing places that are occupying maybe a locally developed space or a fine dining space. I'm really excited by super long meals. So degustation tasting menu is, is like the best thing in the world to me, but I also fully respect that not everybody wants to eat for five hours. Um, But that's the story I'm probably most trying to tell is here's some beautiful food. This chef is incredible and they made it. And this is, you know, this is where you can find it. Um, So the story is, is less about me. And I think you'll see that I actually don't have a lot of time for people who put themselves in front of the camera when it's the chef and the his team, his or her team, you know, that made these dishes, right? So I'm not a part of that story. I'm the diner, uh, but me showing off a plate or in front of a you know restaurant is just it seems silly to me. 
Thank you, Courtney. I'm like you. I'm for the long meals. Having lived in Paris where, you know, food becomes, I would say, a vehicle (laughs) for sharing stories for everything, actually. Because as you've mentioned, food is a lot about who we are. It's about our stories, where we come from, what we believe, who we'll become. So I like what you said about you trying to highlight and showcase the chef. And it's not necessarily about you, but the story behind it. So thank you for sharing that. I want to go to your brand, A to Zeptar. So first, as I mentioned to you prior to starting this, I'm huge into the naming of things and the language we give names and brands. What were your thinking behind naming your initial, I, I would say it was initially a blog, A to Zeptar? So I came up with the name ahead of the blog. Like I almost came up with the name and was and then decided I had to do something with it. I think I came up with the name in 2013, 2014. And I was just kind of sitting on it, much like you know, a manuscript I hadn't written. Um, I will also say that in the time when I was starting, so this is probably like 2016, people needed to have these kind of like not a flashy name, but you know, you would just, everybody was known as a handle on Instagram. And that was very much the predominant kind of approach um, in Dubai. And I was late to the market of of anything, but I had a good name um, and I worked hard to kind of, you know, build up a reputation, which I, I am quite proud of. So the naming was important, but I've recently switched back to my own name because Yes, Eta Zatar will always be a brand that's important to me, but but then as an author and you know having bylines and things like that, Eta Zatar just seemed a little silly and a little outdated. Um, as a brand for my blog, it's fine. Uh, but for Instagram, I am now back to Courtney Brandt. So underscore Courtney Brandt underscore <laughs> if you want to find me. And what would be your advice to individuals? Because sometimes I've heard, like Tony Robbins talks about this, who's an American motivational speaker. He says, just begin. Don't worry about the how. What would be your advice to someone who's looking to maybe start develop their own brand, a young woman who's trying to start on the journey of entrepreneurship? I think that advice is actually very good. Just just getting started is is sometimes a very big step um, and you never quite know how it's going to go or, or where it's going to end up. Uh, you know, maybe do your research and surround yourself with people who uh, are experts in the field. Uh, there's a number of great uh, women's groups uh, here in Dubai or, you know, maybe you have a book club. I, I, my book club is such a wonderful source of the most amazing women I could possibly know. And their editors, and they're you know, in in on the radio, and they're all these other wonderful things. So you know, I think there's accountability that goes with some of this as well. You know, you got to tell people you're going to do it, so people are going to ask if you're going to keep doing it. I guess for me, it's different with books because I'm just always writing one uh, or trying to edit one. But if there's maybe a big project that's coming up, um, I try and manifest is probably the wrong word, but I do try and tell people about it so that uh, maybe the next time they see me, they're going to ask. And I think it's also about consistency. So you're not going to get better at something unless you keep doing it. Right. So when I first started A Zatar, you know, I can go back and look at some of my reviews and they're not amazing, Uh, but I helped develop my voice and helped 
lead me to moving really from a blog to a newsletter, which I've had for the past year. Uh, and I now have uh, nearly 5,000 subscribers and just really finding, you know, in doing something every day or every week, um, you know, for me for the past five years, it's just kind of like part of my daily process now. So I can't imagine not working on it or editing something or, you know, finding my next restaurant to go to. Uh, it's just become, you know, part of my life. Agreed. Getting started and being consistent. I even know for myself as a writer, just practicing every day, writing every day is essential to just improving your writing and getting better at the craft of writing. So I want to ask you and unpack a little bit because I can't imagine that you started off and thought maybe this is going to be extremely successful, this brand. Looking back now, what would you say are some of the greatest lessons you learned and what would you do differently embarking on building your brand A to Zatar? I think the company you keep is incredibly important. Finding people that are like-minded and it doesn't have to be the same voice. It doesn't have to be your best friend, but finding others in what you do in the industry you do, whether it's as a writer, as a content creator, so that you have a network of people that you look up to. So it took me a while. I would say when I first started, if I looked back, I would make different decisions. But now I'm in a place where the people that I reach out to and I see and I see their feeds and I watch what they're doing. Maybe at the beginning, that would have seemed so intimidating. Some of the people, some of the talented individuals that I know but like, don't be intimidated by your heroes either. Like you can just reach out to people and ask people have done that for, I've made, I made two amazing friends in 2020 because they reached out to me and they said, Hey, I think we should know each other. And then I looked at them. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they want to be friends with me. Yeah, absolutely. So two women who I just completely admire, you know, reached out to me. And I think, you know, I know we speak and and I know you have maybe a a stronger female demographic listening uh, that I think, and especially in a town like Dubai or maybe even in the region that there's a lot less like borders or, or lines drawn. We can just reach out to people, you know, people are accessible um, and there's nothing wrong with that. So even, you know, if I don't have time, I can still try and help people or connect people uh, because my network is quite large. And um, that's the thing I think that, this year I've really tried to focus on is it's even less about me and more about the people I know and trying to get them connected because it's all connected to me somehow. Um, so, so look at your network and think about your network and also think about what your reputation is by who you're with. So that can work positive and that can work negative. Um, there's somebody I'm thinking of who maybe necessarily doesn't know they have a negative reputation, but they do. And, you know, it's, it's all in who you, how you present yourself and who you present yourself with. Uh, People are watching, you know, people are watching maybe too much and too closely, uh, but you do have to be careful. And I think um, there's no right answers, which is, you know, the also the the difficult side of that. Uh, But, you know, again, the women I know um, and, and what they do and what they're accomplishing, I know I'm on the right path because I see these people that inspire me. I think you spoke to a few valid points there. 
in terms of finding individuals that you could connect to? Because you mentioned this in some of your feeds, you've connected with so many people over food. So I like what you mentioned in terms of not being afraid to ask. You'd be surprised, you know, how many people will say yes when you approach them in the right way, um, when you want to collaborate with them on maybe a project, an idea. I like that what you mentioned in terms of reaching out to individuals and building that network and finding like-minded individuals, which reminds me of something that Rachel Rogers, who is the founder of Hello7, and she actually built a platform for women specifically and helping women gain financial freedom and financial wealth. And she said, get yourself into spaces where you can find your squad. It makes a world of difference. And I agree. Even me, I think I need to do a lot more reaching out to individuals who have podcasts, getting into those groups and those circles, because you never know where we could help and inspire each other. So thank you for sharing that. Courtney, I do want to ask you, you've had quite a bit of success having published 13 novels and also building your own brand. How do you push through fear and uncertainty and how do you frame fear? It's interesting that it all goes back to marching band. Um, So picture me, 14, 15 Um, I was in the drum line, which is a all percussion section of the marching band, for those who don't know. And I had a big disappointment auditioning for a certain instrument because I was in a competitive marching band. Yes, there is such a thing. So then I decided I was going to work really hard and I was awarded the spot that I wanted. And not only that, I was one one of three young women, but in, in this particular section, I was, I was the only young woman. Um, something about that experience has always stuck with me. So I got to learn super early. Like if I try to do something, I'll get it done. Um, not everybody gets that lesson when they're 15, 16, but I have. So I see people struggle though. Like if you don't have innate confidence Um, It can be difficult. And even people that I super respect, you know, this imposter syndrome or, you know, just really kind of second guessing everything. um, I just don't think people need to be so hard on themselves. So it's about, you know, obviously doing things you're comfortable with, but sometimes you have to push out of your comfort zone. So for some people, for example, you know, when I get invited to restaurants, I might not always get that plus one. I might have to go to an event by myself. And, you know, that can be intimidating for some people. It's not for me. But if you go with maybe the intention of I'm going to meet one person and I'm going to stay for this amount of time and, you know, it's an honor to be invited to this thing. So I I really need to commit to that. And that's just one example. I guess on the author side, though, you know, look... I'm not a runaway best-selling success. You know, that that model hasn't happened for me yet. Um, I have in the the achievements I have, it's about managing expectations, right? So when I get a good review, that's a great day. If I have pages read or books sold, that's a great day. For every author, it's going to look different. So, you know, for you, you might be selling way more than I am or being invited to different conferences and all these different things. Um, I think it's just, especially if 2020 has taught us anything, like just be easy on yourself because, you know, first of all, writing a book, amazing accomplishment. If you're the only one who reads it, still you wrote a book, right? And then maybe if you're at my level where 
I write a lot of books and I publish them, you know, my expectations and, and gauges of success are going to be a little different. Um, so just, you know, make realistic goals. I think, you know, if I say right now that I want to be on the New York Times bestseller list, but I'm a self-published author, the reality of that is not very strong. And if I go through life trying to beat myself up to get on that list, what am I going to accomplish? So my style of writing at least is how do I connect with people and the people that I connect with, are they good connections? And I just kind of leave it at that. I like what you're saying. I mean, I definitely appreciate your worth ethic because to push through and consistently write books and keep writing, it seems as if you're someone who really enjoys the process and the journey and is not overly concerned. And you could clarify this for me, overly concerned about the results. Is that true? For better or for worse, that is the absolute truth. So I'm just happy to write these stories that they keep coming to me, that I uh, connect with people. And I guess it, it kind of is like a weirdly expensive hobby sometimes. You know, it does pay off eventually. But yeah, I guess it's a, to me, it's how I'm using my creative energy. And sometimes my creative energies, especially in the, the past fall, uh, I was traveling quite a bit and that's not a good time for me to be actively writing. I need to be in a place for a solid amount of time. Um, so again, managing my own expectations, not trying to you know beat myself up that I wasn't working on a book, um, even though knowing I have all these ideas, just kind of giving myself space to go, you'll get there and you have your time. Um, but now it's not the right time to, to work on that project. Courtney, were you always that compassionate with yourself in terms of giving yourself space and the time to say, okay, I can put a hold on this for now and focus on X, Y, Z. It seems like you've done some inner work there. Honestly, I would say every day is a struggle, right? So I can say that because I want it to be that way. But of course, you know, I will look at, you know, word counts I'm not doing or projects that I haven't published or projects that I haven't written. So it's, I think it's just an ongoing case, but I mean, look, I'm 41. So I've had a lot of time to get used to where I am in my life, uh, what I gauge as a success, keep moving the bar up, especially on the food, you know, the food and travel side of things. So I think in, in some parts of my life, if I think, oh, that's not going so well, or it's not where I want to be, there's another part of my life um, that I'll work on or something or a project or a person um, where it just kind of all balances out. Beautiful. Thank you. And one last question around the idea of mastery and success. How would you articulate success? Well, it's going to be different for everyone. I think it's, it's a case of looking back and, and just making sure that you are, living up to your potential. That's what I would view it as. So when I, you know, look back at 2020 or 2021 and, and do these kind of annual, you know, reviews of, of where things are, usually it's either at the end of the year or at my birthday, which is in March. Um, just, just saying, you know, wow, you did good. Now, where do we go from there? Um, so success and, and in different projects, um, like there's a podcast project I'm going to be a part of that I can't talk too much about yet, uh, but it's going to happen in 2022. And I'm super proud about that. So success in that project is going to look different than uh, success in other projects. Um, so I guess my definition is really dependent on the project <laughs> and, and, and the time maybe it takes to get there or, uh, you know, gauging it against other things that I've done and seeing how far I can go. Beautiful. 
Thank you for sharing that. So Courtney, I would like to not necessarily shift gears, but as I mentioned to you, this is really a story about highlighting the stories of women. And I know you've mentioned that you are a feminist. And I just want to reference a quote by Roxane Gay, who is an American author, professor, I would say a social commentator. And she's had many best-selling essays, including Bad Feminists from 2014. And she says, feminism is a choice. And if a woman does not want to be a feminist, that is her right. It is still my responsibility to fight for her rights. I believe feminism is grounded in supporting the choices of women, even if we wouldn't make certain choices for ourselves. So what would be your definition of feminism? And one last question to add to that. Why do you think it's so critical that nations look to empower young girls and young women? Well, I think um, Roxanne, who I have followed for ages and ages, um, pretty much nailed it in her. And she's very, very eloquent. <laughs> so there's a lot there that that I agree with. Um, I think speaking up for others, even if they don't believe you, you know, I'm not a mother. I don't want to be a mother, but I do know young women in the next generation. So it's incredibly important for me um, that they have more opportunity or choice or, you know, just everything should be better for, for the next generation. So it's, it's, just really around even, you know, my friends, kids, and, and, um, you can raise, you know, feminists obviously can be men or women, young men or women as well. Um, so maybe there's a piece of education that goes with that because sometimes people hear a word and have a very visceral response. And I think that that's wrong, but, um, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion and I'm very proudly uh, a feminist and, and I don't think that will change anytime soon. You had another part of the question, and I've lost my train of thought. Would you mind asking it again? Just around the importance of nations empowering young girls and women. What do you think is the importance of nations doing that and making that part of their national agendas? Of course, if you're only looking at if you look at 50% of the population and they're not empowered or they don't have a voice or they don't have finances where they have strange laws that restrict them and their autonomy, how can you be a society? So it really comes down to if you're going to be a modern society or modern nation, I think empowering 50% of your population is pretty much a no-brainer. Some countries do it better than others, but in looking at all countries, because being a gender has, has nothing to do with your nationality, that's (laughs) <laughs> just of, of your life. And so all nations just need to really have a better look because I think if I'm American and I can look at what a white woman earns versus a white man and a woman of color, and you go deeper and deeper into that and, and how the just discrepancy in a wage is and how unfair that is. Uh, so we definitely need to do better. Thank you, Courtney, for sharing that. Well, first, I want to reference the quote. It's one of my favorites that comes from the founding father of the UAE, His Highness Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan al-Nayan, who obviously we all know had a profound respect for the role that women play in the UAE and beyond. He always said that women is half of the society. And it speaks to what you mentioned. And he said, any country which pursues development should not leave her in poverty or illiteracy. So I definitely think we have a lot more to do. And what 
could you say are some of the ways we can support other women? I think the biggest piece, of course, is education. So making sure that all young women, um, especially girls, have access to education. And that can look different in every country because, you know, I know there are certain countries in the world where if young women are menstruating, you know, that they're not allowed to go to school and things like that. And all goes back to education of the whole population that all young people should have access to education, you know, to a certain level. I think that's more or less a universal uh, right. Having known, obviously I've lived here for a while and, and speaking to Emirati women, you know, that they do know that quote and they do feel quite strongly about it. And it has been respected and um, that uh, you have a forward thinker that would, you know, look at his whole population and not just 50% of it. Um, so to me, um, it just, it's, it's the education piece and that's for young men and women, but also especially for young women that the access is there and it's to any level that they want to go to. So, you know, if, if there are barriers to university, how do we deal with those? If there's barriers to secondary or whatever level of education, be it through cultural differences or just anything that is a barrier, um, how do we remove those so that we can move forward? I agree. Starting with education is key. And as an educator myself, I definitely think that is, I would say, the equaling ground for everyone in terms of empowering young girls and young women. Because I definitely think when we empower a woman, we're empowering, and a young girl, we're empowering our society. Thank you for sharing that. Courtney, I want to get into the food because I'm a lover of food. And as I mentioned, I actually enjoyed looking at your Instagram feeds. Uh, they were artfully curated. And I just want you to share some of your favorite haunts. I know there are too many to name, but if we could just start with Emirati, what would be some of your favorite Emirati haunts that you would recommend to our listeners? So I'm going to be a little controversial and say I don't know the cuisine quite well. And I think that there's a big gap in the market for really fine dining, um, either Gulf food, specifically Emirati or Middle Eastern. And so I can't name any. Um, my usual go-tos there is Tresen Studio, which is uh, Chef Himanchu. And it is the best uh, restaurant in the UAE, full stop. That's uh, modern Indian gastronomy. Uh, I love Hoseki, which is located at the Bulgari Hotel. Um, it's a nine-seat restaurant. Short of going to Tokyo, you cannot experience a nemokaze like that. And then my last one is actually Emirati founded. Uh, it's called High Joint. It's a burger place. And there's the original one in Jumeirah. There are five seats at the counter and it is fantastic burgers. Oh, interesting. And I know that you are a fan, as you mentioned, of these longer food experiences um, that we see in many cultures. Um, are there any tasting menus you would recommend to our listeners? Yes. So Tresen Studio uh, runs beautiful degustation tasting menu. Uh, they're in their 
fifth or sixth season now. Um, so you could, you know, look on their feed and see what they do. To me, that's the top one. And one of the only ones, I think Moonrise XYZ does a tasting menu. I've not been yet, uh, but it is something you have to kind of look out for. And I will say that Dubai is doing super well in this space of collaboration. Um, so, you know, follow your favorite restaurants because there's a lot of places where, you know, for one night, um, you might get pop-up of two chefs or visiting global chef. Boca does a tasting menu. It's a little less, I'd say, intense than the Tresen Studio one, but Boca DIFC uh, chef Matt is doing a great one over there as well. Thank you. I'm not familiar with all the restaurants in Dubai living in Abu Dhabi, but I will definitely put those on my list to try in the upcoming months. So, Courtney, before we wrap up, I want to ask you, where can individuals connect with you on social media? Uh, not to get on to a, a weird soapbox, but I'm as much as I love Instagram um, and I am underscore Courtney Brandt, that is my name. I'm also very cognizant that I don't own Instagram and I don't own those followers. So I've been pushing people a lot towards my Substack, which is just substack.adazatar.com. Uh, and it is a, a weekly newsletter that goes out every Friday. It's meant to be kind of a lazy read and I'm able to discuss where I've been in the week and also include links that are important to me that kind of cross over from maybe politically things that I find important or travel details or funny things that I like. So it's a, it's a writing space for me that, as I've mentioned, I've been doing about the past year and the feedback has been incredible. Uh, for paid subscribers, uh, there are brutally honest reviews. <laughs> so if you are a paid subscriber, you would have access to um, all the restaurants I've been to and exactly how I feel about them. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I definitely think that's a valid point to just send individuals directly to atazatar.com. And anyone of our listeners, if you just simply Google Courtney Brandt, you will see all that she's done and accomplished. So Thank you, Courtney. What are you now striving for? I know you can't speak about your upcoming projects, but what are you curious about? And where do you see yourself, say, five years from now? Because you've been in the region since 2007. Really, I think if I could find a time or place where my novels were maybe making a little more, <laughs> that would be comfortable. And I'd love to um, not physically pay my husband back, but kind of give back and, and, and have some, some more space for that and just really connect with some more readers. Success would be, and this project that is upcoming would, I would hope be ongoing because I'm very excited about it. Sorry to be so mysterious. I, I actively hope to maintain my, my same friend group and I'd love to be meeting with my book club five years from now, but that's, I, I, I'm pretty happy with, with where things are. So it would just be a more of the same volunteer at canine friends once a week. I'd really like to continue in that space and just giving back and trying to, to help dogs find homes, but it's yeah, really five years. It would be, can I keep doing this <laughs> maybe on just a bigger level? That's what it would come down to. Brilliant. We will continue to read your stories. Thank you for sharing that. And now is there something that you've always dreamed of doing that you haven't done yet? that is on your to-do list? 
I have had uh, one of my books optioned for film twice. It never has made it to film, television, cinema. So if if there was one thing I could do, it would be to option one of my books uh, for the screen. I've got a book I think I'm going to publish next year, which is a bit of a thriller that takes place at the Louvre Abu Dhabi. And I think it's got a lot of potential commercially. Uh, so let's see, watch this space. But the thing I would like is to have a written by credit, uh, whether it was on you know, a major thing like Netflix or just like the Hallmark channel, I really wouldn't care. I think I would just be so over the moon if that happened. Well, we'll definitely like to send our well wishes to you and we'll continue watching you for sure. And then before we conclude, is there anything that we didn't cover that you wish to talk about or any question? Because I know you've been on several podcasts. Any question that you would like to answer more often? I honestly think you're a wonderful interviewer and <laughs> I'm not pushing them back. Your, your um, questions were excellent and, and you did get into some, some depth, which I genuinely appreciate. Thank you, Courtney. And to just add to my kind of further comment that my door, you know, obviously virtually is always open. So if anybody has further questions about writing, you know, the fiction process, uh, about how to adopt a dog or maybe a good restaurant to go to, that please do reach out to me. Um, you know, this and doing podcasts, I think they are evergreen. And so no matter when you're listening to this, I will still be available. <laughs> and uh, my my door is virtually open to you. I will definitely take you up on that offer, Courtney. But I just remembered one question I want to ask you. Which women, it could be past or present, you would love to have as a dinner guest? That is a that is a great question. And there's some authors, I think, from the past and the present that I would like to see, to see and meet. Um, I think probably, though, who's, who's, who's currently uh, living, if I could have dinner with Michelle Obama, it would be... She's just, I, I think Michelle Obama and Stacey Abrams um, are two two women uh, in the States that I just absolutely look up to and I think the world of. So those are two women that I would, I don't even know, I don't know if I'd be able to speak if they were at my dinner table. Those are two of my favorites as well. So definitely Michelle Obama. I read her becoming and definitely was inspired and uplifted as a result. So thank you, Courtney. I just want to say thank you. We want to send our well wishes to you on your upcoming projects. Definitely keep us in the loop because we are building a platform called Bella and Bella Production. And it really is a platform about women supporting each other. And your story is definitely a powerful reminder of how important it is to channel the power of collaboration as women. And thank you for reminding us that we each have a story to tell. And thank you for all that you're doing to inspire the next generation of women the world over. I am truly inspired by your story and your grit, your resilience, how much you've accomplished since you've been living here. Thank you, Courtney, for taking the time out today. And thank you for having me for a guest. I would be happy to come back anytime in the future. Oh, definitely. We're looking to collaborate with you. So thank you and have a wonderful evening.
Music on this podcast is provided by Alexander Kirschdisch. The composition is titled Beautiful Spheres, which was released on April 3rd, 2019. Alexander Kirschdisch can be found on Facebook at Alexander Kirschdisch and on Instagram at Alexander Kirschdisch underscore official. <laughs>